Uh, today is the uh, first Sunday of Lent, uh, Lent which uh, began this uh, last Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, as a, a 40-day long period that goes from Ash Wednesday until uh, the Saturday right before Easter. And the word Lent, appropriately today, uh, means lengthening of days, and today we are experiencing a lengthening of a day, although not much sleep, but a lengthening of a day. Now, for centuries, Lent has been the time of year people have hit the pause button to spend time with God with intention. And Lent is a great time to ponder how to live more fully in a relationship with God, what forgiveness is all about, how gracious God is, what our mortality means, and where we would be without Jesus. And I think it's helpful to think about Lent as a time of renewal and new beginnings. Renewal and new beginnings for ourselves. Renewal and new beginnings for our relationships with others. Renewal and new beginnings of our love and devotion to God. Now for the six Sundays of Lent, we're going to have a specific thematic focus for our time together. And you may have received an email from us about what we're going to do on these Sundays in Lent. But whether or not you did, to help us get started on our Lenten theme for a moment, I'd like to ask each of you to imagine something. Now right now, I'd like you each to imagine you're outside somewhere. It can be anywhere, but it should be a place where there are a lot of rocks. Could be in the mountains, could be the desert, could be by the sea. Picture the place in your mind. Now I'd like you to imagine being in this place, leaning over and seeing a stone, leaning over and bending down and picking that stone up. In your mind, I'd like you to imagine picking up another stone. And go ahead, pick up another. Now in this image, if you stick with it, you will notice some stones might be heavy while others are quite light. Some may seem soft while others feel hard with rough edges. Some stones may be a delight to hold while others may cut deeply because they are sharp. And what might seem like a heavy stone to you may feel very light to another. And we can leave that image now and come back to this place. And as I think about the image I just shared and stones in general, it strikes me that if you and I live life long enough, most of us become stone collectors. Not the kind of stones found in nature we just envisioned, but the kinds of stones that weigh us down and are hard to release. Such stones have names, you know, names such as temptation, bitterness, anger, Feelings of inadequacy, struggles with forgiveness, hopelessness, just to name a few of these stones. And I know in my own life, I've been weighed down by a bunch of different things. I sometimes carry things around like a bag full of rocks. And if we're honest, probably most, if not all of us, are carrying something around that feels heavy at times. Well, as a result, I'd like to invite us over the weeks ahead to think about letting go of the stones that are wearing us out, letting go of such stones by handing them over to God and by asking God to do the heavy lifting for us, asking God to help us to release what it is that is so tough to carry around, 
And so this Sunday, I begin a series titled Rolling Stones, Releasing What Weighs Us Down. Now, each of you was given a rock upon entering the chapel this morning. If you didn't get one, we'll have a chance to get one later. And I'd like you to hold on to those rocks for just a few moments because we will do something with them shortly. Well, I'd like to begin this series today by focusing on something that a lot of us carry around day to day. And what I want to talk about are temptations. Temptations are those things, those people, those circumstances, those ideas that entice or lure us to do something or think something that we know way down deep is ultimately going to be hurtful to ourselves, hurtful to others, and even hurtful to God. And despite knowing about consequences like a trout going after a well-presented fly, as human beings, sometimes we feel compelled to act on whatever it is that is tempting us. Now, temptations are very interesting things, aren't they? What might be tempting to me might not be tempting to you. And what might feel like a heavy, burdensome temptation to me may not even cross your mind. And just as we are all different people, temptations are as different and varied as there are people. But regardless of what our temptations may be, what they all share in common is that they all lead to the same place if we engage in them, and that is the place of no bueno, not good, a place where harm happens, a place where love itself begins to fade. Loving God, loving others, and loving ourselves the way that God wants us to goes to the background. Now, temptations, in my opinion, likely come from one of two places. They either come from our own thoughts, which I'll get to in a minute, our own thoughts in response to something or someone, and temptations also, however, come from evil itself. The guy that Miha sang about this morning, the song he just sang, is about a guy whose life was consumed by evil and the destruction and havoc it created in his life. Well, to help us get started, I'd like to look at evil, and for a moment, let's explore some basics about evil. And evil is one of the most perplexing, difficult, and emotionally laden topics in our journey in faith, but we live in absolute peril if we ignore it. Evil exists, and we know this not just because of stories of Jesus and others in Scripture, but evil exists because we see it, don't we? And sometimes we even experience it. C.S. Lewis once said there are two equal and opposite errors we can make when it comes to evil. He said one is to disbelieve or deny its existence. The other is to believe and be concerned about evil to an excessive and unhealthy degree. He suggests that evil thrives on either stance, and I agree. To ignore or deny evil is not only foolish, but dangerous. However, to focus on evil and become preoccupied with it, or to worry about it, is not only unnecessary, but life-depleting. I must say, I can't stand evil. Evil has messed with my life over the years in so many ways. I wish evil did not exist in my life and the lives of those that I love. But I have seen evil destroy the lives of many 
many people. And like a perilous infection, evil is nasty, insidious, clever, cunning, and deadly. It also multiplies and spreads. Now as a foundation, it's very important for us all to understand that evil is not another god. Evil and God are not rivals. There is no rivalry. There is only one God is manifested in Jesus Christ. Nor does evil have the power of God. Also, it's important to point out that people are not evil. Rather, evil works in and within people. Remember all the stories in Scripture about Jesus casting out demons. What does he do? He doesn't cast out the person. He casts out the evil within the person. It's also critical to say that evil, when it's all said and done, does not win out in the end. The good news is that evil is a power which Jesus Christ opposed and defeated the power of death on the cross and is a power which one day will utterly be crushed and destroyed and gone. Yet without a doubt, evil has resulted in horrific events in history. And God calls you and me to join God in battling the evil found in social injustices, oppression, dishonesty, and the harm that is inflicted on innocent people across this land and other places every day. Now, evil is known as Satan, and the word Satan means adversary, and Scripture describes Satan or the devil as the enemy, the liar, the tempter, the accuser, and the evil one. Just think of those words, the liar, the tempter, the accuser. Each of these names certainly capture part of what evil is all about. And we find evil all over the Old and the New Testament. We encounter evil first in the book of Genesis. Remember Adam and Eve are in the garden when the serpent shows up and tempts them by saying, did God really say that? And in this story, we see the great deceiver at work in a disguised and clever way. We also read about Satan working to destroy Job's faith and life. And we find Satan all over the Old Testament. And then in the New, the devil tempts Jesus' followers, causes disobedience. Evil creates sickness in women, children, and men, causes Peter to question Jesus attempts to mess with Jesus when he teaches. Evil torments Paul, and evil schemes to corrupt and destroy the church following Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And if you don't believe evil exists, look at the evil and the harm inflicted by so many off-base clergy in our world today. And it is this evil one that we encounter in today's gospel reading about the temptation of Jesus and evil itself is a source of temptation in the story. Now, in three of the Gospels, we hear this story, and we hear of just three of the devil's mental assaults on Jesus, who was famished, exhausted, and depleted at the time. Now, what is very interesting is that in each of the temptations that are described, Jesus had a similar way of responding to each of them. With each temptation, Jesus recognized the nature of the temptation, what's going on here. He recognized the source of the temptation, where it was coming from. 
and he realized and understood the consequences had he given in. It's as if Jesus said, I know what this temptation's about. I know exactly where it's coming from, and I know what's going to happen if I give in to it. And with this in mind, let's briefly look at these three temptations. In the first one, the devil says, Jesus, I know how hungry you are. Go ahead and turn these desert rocks into tasty, hunger-satisfying bread. And while on the surface this temptation is about physical hunger, the devil here is really attempting to cause Jesus to depend on himself instead of God. The devil, in essence, says, Jesus, you can do it. You can get yourself out of this mess all on your own. You don't need God. Just take care of this problem now. And Jesus says, nope, not going to happen. I depend on God. Life is not about getting every immediate need addressed. It's about a lifelong dependence upon God. I cannot do it with God, and I choose not to do so. The devil says, all right, I have another offer. And the devil in a flash shows Jesus the entire world. And the devil says, see all of this? It's yours. All you have to do is worship me and you'll have it. This temptation, if you look at it, is one in which Jesus is tempted to compromise his identity, to compromise his values and principles in order to gain power. Jesus' response, all power belongs to God and I won't compromise myself to gain any part of that power, nor am I going to compromise my principles. And finally, the devil says, okay, the devil takes Jesus, and then it says, okay, and then the devil takes Jesus to Jerusalem and places him on the highest part of the temple. The devil then says, Jesus, jump off, you'll be fine. It says in scripture that the angels will protect you. Go ahead, jump. I like to call this temptation the God-on-demand temptation. It's when God becomes like a cable television set. Need or want or see something, switch to the right channel and immediately, voila. It's about approaching God with an attitude of getting anything we ask for when we ask for it. In essence, this temptation puts us in the position of thinking we can control God, or at least wanting to. Jesus says in response, that's not the relationship I have with God. God's in control, not me, and I'm not going to test God this way. My relationship with God is not about God, do this, and then I'll believe you. Or God, if you do this, then I will trust you. Or God, do this, and then I will follow you. No, I'm going to let God be God. We then learn in the Gospel of Luke that when the devil had finished tempting Jesus for 40 days, the devil takes off until another opportunity comes up to go at Jesus once again. And within these verses are powerful, relevant lessons for us all. We learn that temptation is real and that it's all about doing what we want or what momentarily pleases us instead of focusing on God or what God might desire for us. We learn that temptation is ultimately about turning our backs on God and ultimately about turning our backs, in fact, on ourselves. We learn that while temptations happen, and in fact happen to all people, having a temptation and giving into it is not the same thing. Now, earlier I mentioned that while temptations certainly come from evil, it's important to point out that not all temptations, I believe, have evil at its source. Sometimes we experience temptation because of the way we think. Sometimes we experience temptations because we have very well-ingrained habits. 
Sometimes we experience temptations because of our life histories and what we've experienced. Sometimes we experience temptations because of our met or especially our unmet needs that we haven't learned to express in a healthy way. And because of God-given free will and free choice, sometimes we make a choice that reflects giving in to what is luring us away from what we know is right and good and most loving. Every one of us here today struggles with temptation, whether from evil or from our own heads. And this is what it means to be human. And ultimately, temptations, if given into, really are not that much fun. Because when we give into temptation, especially serious ones, they always lead to hurt, being broken, disappointed with ourselves, guilt, and a fracturing of love, and loving God, loving others, and loving ourselves. Temptations, especially when given into, can lead to a pile of stones we end up carrying around. And simply thinking about things that tempt us can feel like carrying a big stone around too. So what are we to do? Just some thoughts, and then I'll get to our stones. First and foremost, we all know what tempts us. It's not a mystery. It's not hidden. We all have the capacity to be honest with ourselves about what it is that tempts us. Each of us know what the sources of our particular temptations are. We know whether they're coming from some unmet need. We know whether they're coming from some struggle we've been dealing with for a long time. We can sense if it's some power outside of ourselves that feels creepy. In other words, evil that's leading us. What tempts us is generally not something hidden if we're honest with ourselves. And when it's all said and done, temptation, I believe, is an inside thing. It's a matter of where our hearts are more than anything else. I also believe that doing what Jesus did when tempted is also a great thing for us to keep in mind. Remember, Jesus repeatedly said, in essence, I know what this temptation is. I know exactly what it is. I know exactly where it's coming from. And I know what will happen if I give into it. So I'm not going to do it. I know what this temptation is. I know where it's coming from. And I know what's going to happen if I give into it. What a great strategy. I also believe that we need to share what tempts us with people we trust. It keeps us accountable. Sharing what tempts us with people we love and trust can keep us accountable. And of course, then there's the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not, but... Oh, that's an interesting link, isn't it? And then there's this approach to responding to temptation. One day, someone wrote a letter in the New Testament. In the New Testament, it's called the letter to the Hebrews. We don't know who wrote the letter specifically, but here's what the person states. Jesus understands every weakness of ours because he was tempted in every way that we are. I'll just say that again. Jesus understands every weakness of ours because he was tempted in every way that we are. But he did not sin. He didn't give in to it. So whenever we are in need, we should come before our God 
And when we come before our God with what tempts us, we will be treated with kindness and we will find help. When we come before God with our temptations, we will find kindness and we will find help. In other words, God invites us to hand our temptations over to Christ. And in Christ, we will find help with what tempts us. We don't have to go it alone. We don't have to carry the load around. We don't have to carry the weight of what tempts us around. And if we are guilt or shame-ridden over our temptations or because we've given in to them, we can hand it all over to Christ and say, take it and let it go. Now this morning, hopefully each of you was given a rock. If not, there are some rocks in a big basket in the entryway. Now I'd like you to take that rock into your hands right now and visualize that rock as representing temptation. Temptations you are struggling with now, temptations that you and I have given into in the past, Picture that rock as representing the weight of temptation. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate communion. When I do, and when we do, I'd like you to bring your rock with you. We have a basket up front. When you come forward to receive communion, before receiving communion, I invite you to drop the rock in the basket. And when you drop that rock in your mind, say, God, I let go of this rock and I give it all to you. Will you help me? Will you work through me? Will you take these temptations away from me? And each and every week, we're going to do the same thing, although with a different topic. And at the end of each week, Charles and I will put the rocks in front of the altar. In six weeks, we should have a heck of a pile. <laughs> Representing all those things that impede living the joyful, loving, caring, kind, selfless lives that God wants us to live. Lives in which we're not carrying around a bunch of heavy stones. I also want to make sure that you're here Easter morning. I have a feeling God's going to do something with those rocks on Easter. Something pretty and amazing. But in the meantime, let us now pray.